sure you've maybe heard a talk or two or a sermon or two on this passage if you've been in church any amount of time. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. And uh, we'll read it. We'll read it together. All right, here we go. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with Water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Well, this is toward the end of the book of Ephesians. Paul had been writing to some people in Ephesus. Um, Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey, a metropolitan area, lots of different kinds of people. And Paul is telling them what Christian marriage is. At the beginning of the letter, Paul had said, if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, you have incredible, incredible blessings in him. He said, we're all alienated from God. You are alienated from God because of sin. You're actually dead in sin. But by grace, through faith, you can be brought near to God. You can be brought into relationship with Him. So God has taken Jewish people who believe in Jesus, Gentile people like these Ephesians, and He's brought them into one family. And then He said, what do families do? Families love each other. Paul goes on in the letter and he says, the implication of being a new person in Christ is to imitate God. It's to walk in love. And at the middle of chapter 5, he says that means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he gets to relationships. And he starts with marriage. And if you know anything about marriage, you know it's probably difficult to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be married. And I say that half joking, half serious, because it's difficult. You know, the longer you're around a person, isn't it hard to like them sometimes? But so Paul says, if there is going to be proof, if there's going to be some cold, hard evidence that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's going to be played out in the trenches of everyday relationships. It's really easy to love people from a distance. My wife and I have been talking about Facebook lately. It's easy to love people on Facebook because you don't see them very often. It's easy to love people on Twitter. 
Because you only have 140 characters to say something and nobody wants to get into 140 character arguments back and back and back and forth. So Paul says, if there's going to be some proof, if there's going to be some proof that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's going to be shown in the trenches of everyday relationships. So Paul goes to marriage. So I don't know what you thought. Sorry, I'm cold. I have a cold. I sniff a lot. I'm really sorry. Um, I don't know what you thought about marriage growing up. Don't you don't know what you've been taught about marriage. Maybe you thought marriage is for procreation. Maybe you thought it's just for personal fulfillment. Maybe it's like a business. Maybe, maybe your parents kind of run the home like a business. Maybe it's just what people do. You know, when people get older, they find someone they want to be with, they just marry them. Maybe you, maybe you believe that gay marriage is okay. Maybe you believe divorce is okay. Maybe you believe living together is just okay. We're married in our hearts. We're, we're married in our hearts, so we'll just, we'll just live together. And I'm not going to address these things, unfortunately, because I don't have time. Um, but my job is to paint a picture of what Christian marriage is. And I want you to bring your questions in these next few weeks, because I'm not going to talk about these things. I'm not going to talk about, what do you do if you're in an abusive marriage? I'm not going to talk about, what do you do if your spouse dies? I'm not going to talk about, what do you do if your spouse leaves you? But hopefully, we will have some groundwork laid for what kind of a marriage you can pursue. Unless you're a leader in here, I don't think any of you are married, right? So there might not be a lot of immediate practical application, but hopefully we will lay a good groundwork for how you can pursue a godly marriage when you're ready for that. Well, here's a definition of biblical marriage. Biblical marriage is one man united with one woman for a lifetime. And obviously there can be a few exceptions, um, which we won't get into. But marriage is one man united with one woman for a lifetime. Any modification of this, except in a couple exceptions, I'll say that. God's, any modification of God's intention for marriage is an assault on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So living together is an assault on the gospel. So the gospel's at stake here. The gospel that, that God has made a new people in Christ, that by grace, through faith, you can know God. You have a relationship with Him. And that all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. That everything that God says is true about, uh, about life, about the world, about us, is fulfilled in Christ, is found in Christ. And so it's an assault on the gospel if we deviate from the biblical marriage. God made marriage to be a live action dramatization of how Jesus relates to his church. God created marriage to be a live action dramatization of how Jesus and his church relate together. God didn't look down and say, well, these people seem to like marriage. I think I'll institute that institution. No, he said, I'm going to create this purposely so that people can see this is how I will relate to my people through my son. Well, in our passage, in Ephesians 5, we're going to work backwards through it. We're going to talk about the mystery of marriage. Paul uses that word mystery. And maybe you say, you go, what, is, what is he talking about? What does he mean mystery? doesn't seem so mysterious to me. Guy meets a girl, they get married. It happens. It's not a mystery. 
We'll look at what he says, and we'll look at the implications. And then we'll look at the only hope for sinful people. And if my record serves me right, I think all of us in here are sinful people. And we, we need to look at how does God help sinful people in marriage? How can we actually do this? Well, look at verses 31 through 32. Paul says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. So by mystery, Paul means the hidden plan of God that has come to fulfillment in Jesus. For however long humans have been around, say 6,000 years of, of recorded history, people didn't know exactly what marriage was all about. They didn't know it related to Christ and His church because Christ hadn't come yet. And so Paul is saying there was a mystery that was hidden. It's not a mystery like it was a puzzle. Or that it was uh, difficult to, to find. It was a mystery in that it was kind of a riddle. That we don't really know. We, we're, this is hidden. It's obscure. And he says, in Christ, it's made clear. This is what marriage is. So, Christ plays the role of a husband. He's the one who woos and leads and loves and protects and provides for his bride. And the church plays the role of the bride. The bride is the one who submits and follows and adores her husband. And you might ask, well, what about sex? And I talked about sex a couple, several weeks ago. And I said, I explained this, but in case you forgot, you might say, well, that's kind of gross because Jesus and his bride don't have sex. Like, he doesn't have sex with his church. And you're right. But if you remember what I said several weeks ago, is that sex is a picture of something far greater than just sex. Sex points to the intimacy that God has with His people. The pinnacle of relationship between people, two people, is sex. It's the highest, it's the closest you can get to another person. And so, God invented sex, God created sex to show, you think that's great? Knowing me is that much better. It's so much better than, than that. So marriage is just a picture, like sex is a picture of intimacy. Here's an illustration. I have a picture, you can throw it up there. This is the Cape of Good Hope. I've been there. It's in South Africa. I didn't take this picture. I wish I had, but I've been on that beach. And it's a beautiful place. It's actually the most beautiful place I've ever been in the world. But that right there is just a picture. That's not the place. The place holds a really special place in my heart. And when I look at that picture... I might be able to smell the ocean. I might be able to feel the sand on my feet. Uh, there were dead jellyfish there when, when I was there. And so I can picture the little dead jellyfish on the beach. But that's not the reality. That's just a picture. But I can look at that and rejoice in the reality and say, man, that was, that was so great. Like, I'd love to go back there sometime. But that... It's just a picture. Just like a picture of my wife. Like when I look at a picture of my wife, I say, oh, I love that picture. I love... Well, you're idolizing the picture. No, it's just a picture of my wife. It, it points to something greater than just a picture. And so marriage points to something much greater. And I'll say this again at the end. But marriage is everything... Uh, marriage can be everything you intended it to be or everything God intended it to be when marriage isn't everything. The picture can be everything you want it to be when the picture isn't the main point. And so if marriage is the main point for you, for me, then you'll, you'll have a miserable marriage. 
And your singleness will be miserable because all you'll be looking to do is get married. I know you're like, oh, I'm in high school. It's not going to Give it two years or three years or four years and you'll say, oh, I just want to be married. So remember, marriage can be everything it was intended to be if it's not everything. Well, how about some implications of this mystery? Paul says it's a mystery. It relates to Christ and the church. It's not about you. It's not about your wife or your husband. And then in verse 33, he says, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. So he says, even though this relates to a mystery, even though it points to something greater, you still have a responsibility. You still have to live this out. You still have to, if you're a husband, love your wife. You still have to, if you're a wife, submit to your husband. So he gives the implications for husbands in verses 25 through 30. He says, husbands, love your wives. Just Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. I'll stop there. So basically, he says, husbands, you want to love your wife? Die. Die to yourself every day. Die to your wants, your needs, your desires, and seek your wife's good. Now, that doesn't mean you become a doormat. It doesn't mean that you never get to do what you want, or if you want to go to Burger King, and she wants to go to McDonald's, you can't go to Burger King. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, just as Jesus set aside his, his desires in the garden before he went to the cross, he said, Father, I submit to you, not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to die for these people so that, they become, so that they become my brothers and sisters, so that they become your sons and daughters. I'm setting aside my needs. And so the husband, so dudes, listen, look at me. Everybody, every dude, look at me. Like, you want to be married? Like, not easy. And I'm not, I'm not up here because I've solved this. I'm up here because I'm a repentant man who continually turns from my desires to God's desires, seeking to die to myself. Love my wife. Love my daughter that way. So every guy, if you want to be married, like this is your job description. You die every day. You wake up and you say, I'm going to die. Again. I, want, I, want, I want something. I'm going to die to my desires. There will be times when you don't get what you want. And you have to say, my wife's joy, my wife's good is better than me getting what I want. He also says, Jesus washes the church. Jesus washes your wife if you're a man. You can't do that. You can't make her holy. But what you can do is continually point her to Jesus. Not by preaching at her and not by getting out the Bible, but by saying, um, Honey, I'm sorry. That's a, that's a great way to point her to the cross. Where you are continually repentant. You are reading your Bible. Guys, if you don't read your Bible, don't get married. Okay? If you don't read your Bible... If, if in five years you're still not reading your Bible, probably not a good time to get married. So you're, you're, you're repenting. You're reading your Bible. You're worshiping Jesus. And in those things, those are providing an example to your wife of how to be holy. And you participate a little bit in washing her and making her holy, just as Christ does that to His church. 
If I could sum it up in a, in a few words, I'd say, husbands, you make your wife sparkle. You make her look great. You make, like, when you're talking with other people, you talk her up. You make her sound like she's the best woman in the world. And hopefully you believe that. And hopefully over time you believe it more. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we don't believe it as much as we should. There's a passage in Zephaniah where God says to his people, I will exalt over you with loud singing. So you can imagine like God is singing over me, his people. Husbands are to do that for their wives. Well, wives. Interestingly, Paul has um, a third of the amount of words for wives. So evidently husbands need a lot more help. He only has a couple verses for the wives. He says... Wives, you're to submit in everything. Now, if you hear that and you just like cringe and you're like, no, I'm not going to submit. I hate that word. Why would I want to submit to anybody? Teachers tell me to submit to them. I'm not going to submit. Maybe you go to private school and you hear that. You probably don't hear that in public school. But submit means to, to just come under the leadership. This isn't like a child submitting to a parent. And it's not like a petty officer submitting to a sergeant or a general. It actually it has nothing to do with a lack of equality or a lack of um, uh, importance on the woman's end. Actually, what it has to do with is that the woman defers ultimate leadership to the husband. In Genesis, Eve is said to be a helper fit for Adam. It's so cool because in the New Testament, the same the same Greek word that was used for the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, they were written in different languages, right? Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek. It's the same word, similar word. The Holy Spirit is called our helper. And dudes that are married, if you're honest, like, doesn't your wife like play the Holy Spirit sometimes, like, in a, in a good way? Wives are supposed to help their husbands. But they do it in a loving way, in a respectful way, not in a nagging way. Just like a husband is not supposed to beat his wife over the head with a Bible, a wife shouldn't do that either. A wife shouldn't be a nag. Actually, in Proverbs it says that it's better for a man to go live on the corner of a rooftop than to have a nagging wife. Proverbs. Look it up. Search it on Google. So submission is deferring ultimate leadership in the home to a husband. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You can't have two leaders. You can't have two head coaches on a team. You can't have two, two quarterbacks. If you guys play football, you know how well that goes. Well, what's the hope? What's the hope for sinful people and for marriages? Because you're probably out there and you're like, how can I live up to this? Or maybe you're thinking, man, my, my parents are divorced. How can they live up to this? It's ruined for us. What if I get divorced someday? I'm going to read you three passages. That would, that would help here. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, she lavished on us. You have redemption in Christ. You have forgiveness. It's the only way to, that a marriage can work, is if there's forgiveness that comes from above and then can be extended to each other. Second verse, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. In Him, in God, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed 
but the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. What's the possession? It's that one day you will have everything Christ meant for you to have, perfection. And I don't have time to read it, but in Revelation 21 you'll read about the new Jerusalem, the new city, the city we get to live in forever, comes down like a bride adorned for her husband. And we get to live there where there's no sorrow, there's no death, there's no pain, there's no divorce, there's no fighting. We are God's bride, we are Christ's bride, and we'll get to live purely with Him forever. So how does the gospel shape our response to God's design for marriage? If this is about the gospel, then it should shape our response to marriage. So men, think about this question. Are you so captivated by Christ's love and sacrifice for you that you can say, I don't need to prove myself or dominate a woman. I have all the acceptance that I need in Christ Therefore, I can lovingly and sacrificially lay down my life for my wife. Women, are you so captivated by Christ's love and leadership for you that you can say, I don't need to overthrow my husband's authority. I will lovingly and respectfully submit to him. And because Christ leads me, I can trust his precious care for me in my marriage. Now you're probably thinking, well, so what? I'm single. I'm in high school. I'm 14, 15, whatever, however old you are. Some of you are 16, 17, 18, I know. <laughs> Remember, marriage is not about finding the right spouse. It's about being the right spouse. If you are the right spouse, you will find the right spouse. But dude, if you're a dude that like, sits in your basement all night long and plays Xbox, and you do that through your college career, you're not going to be a great spouse. I'll just be really honest. It's not going to happen. And women, don't worry, I'm going to pick on you women. If, if you are just desiring the Mr. Right from all of the romantic movies you watch, you will not be the right spouse. <laughs> and if you never get married, so hear, hear me on this, and there are some leaders here that aren't married, I know that. If you never get married or you don't want to, you have the time... You will have the time, the resources, the money, the energy to spend, to spend on other people. There's two guys who work security here every night that are single. Their names are Terry and Shane. And they work their butts off for this church because Jesus loves them and has given himself to them. There's two examples of single guys who are doing what single guys should do. And if you're single, you will have that heavenly Jerusalem come. And you will have a far, glorious, far more glorious wedding than anybody could ever have who's married on this earth. So you can look forward to that. You can look forward to that. Now just four quick things before we close. Brad asked me, what would you say to Bailey? I got a daughter, Bailey, six months. What would you say to Bailey if she were in your position? And I have four things. Be really picky about who you're interested in. There are a lot of you who overlook people because they don't look like they could be on a magazine. And you have no interest in them. There are people that God will put in front of you over the next 8, 10, 15 years who love the Lord, or funny, smart, awesome. Be really picky. 
But I'm so picky that you eliminate everybody. Be selective. Some of you right now, like you're sitting next to your significant other, you need to turn around and say, we're done. You just need to break up. I'm not, that's not funny. Like, I'm serious. Like, you just need to do that right now. Or you need to go out of the room. Hold on, hold on. Like, I'm not joking. There are people here, you know you're in a relationship you shouldn't be in. And so, one of my tough jobs, and I'm not calling out names. I don't actually know of one couple like that. But I'm saying, there are some of you now, and you know that. And you just needed me to tell you and give you permission. You just need to say, we're done. We're done. And so pray over that. And ask the Holy Spirit to convict you. Say, is that me, God? Is that me right now? You have your whole life in front of you. And I'm just saying, you might not need to be in a relationship right now. You, you probably don't. And you need to weigh that. You need to weigh that. Third thing, don't isolate yourself from people. Make lots of friends. Make lots of different kinds of friends. Make friends of people of different cultures, different skin colors, different religions. Make friends. Make friends with people. The trend is if you, if you date in high school, you usually isolate yourself from your world. And you focus on that one person. I know because I've been there. So I'm just speaking from experience. Last thing. I said it at the beginning. I'll say it again. Singleness and marriage can be everything you intended it to be if marriage isn't everything. Tribe out there yet? I have to wait. Read a quick passage here from 1 Corinthians 7. This is just an exhortation, which is a biblical word for encouragement. I want you to listen to 1 Corinthians 7. Paul says, The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. If you're married, if you're single, you can't live like that's your everything. You need to hold on to things with an open hand. Okay, let me pray really quick, and then we'll go to life. Father, would you do a great work in our life groups? Would you generate conversation that pleases you? Lord, would we go in grace the rest of this night? In Jesus' name, amen.